You're listening to the Elected Story Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 5, Ben Franklin's Strategy. Today's story brought to you by Selby Studios. Graphic imaging for family, home, and business. Now here's America's storyteller, Jeff Gould. Thank you, Meredith. Well, as you can tell, I'm in my shop again. You can hear my Coca-Cola slide cooler uh, compressing away next to me. Also, my shop stove is cranking out some BTU. It's just got done shoveling some snow, and I'm ready to get down to the greatest advancement in human history. What do you think it is? Is it movable type, computers, electricity, the wheel? No. My friend, I submit to you that the greatest advancement in human history is the Comfort King mattress. Because without a good night's sleep, nothing advances. And the modern Comfort King mattress has given so many people a great night's sleep that the fastest growing, healthiest, and most prosperous city in the nation is centered around the Comfort King factory. Ha! I rest my case. Need more proof? Go to Comfort King at comfortking.net. So as a person who's writing your own story, perhaps you're at some kind of a stalemate, wondering what the next move will be and not sure what you're going to do. When that happens, I suggest finding a person in history reading a biography, studying what they did, and maybe from that you can get some tips on living your life. For example, let's look at Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin has to be in the top five of most influential Americans. Such a mind, such intellect, such curiosity and inventiveness. So as you remember, in 1776, we started the War for Independence. And when we did that, we were just one more in a long list of people revolting against tyranny. Now, usually, those revolts get put down in the most violent of ways. But we survived, only to find out that we were out of the frying pan and into the fire. We had what was called a congressional confederation, a cobbled-together government that we started in 1781 before our own war was complete, And now that we've won independence from England, wow, it is just a hot mess. First, no decision can be made unless all states agree unanimously. Second, we're not allowed to have a national currency. All bills paid for by states, and the states could disagree in paying those bills. And one of the issues, well, we had a huge war debt. Some states were paying that bill. Some were not. To make matters worse, revolts continued. Shays Rebellion, he was a disgruntled revolutionary officer, uh, led a revolt, and it took a lot to get it put down because there was no national army. It was a hot mess. The government knew it was a bad mess, and so they said, let's get together and fix what we have. The delegation from Virginia said, no, let's come up with a brand new form of government. So they came to this gathering with their concept. It had 15 separate points to it, and they bring it to the meeting. George Washington is asked to officiate it. He says, let's go through this point by point, and so they do on a hot, stifling summer in Philadelphia. The bickering begins. They meet in what is to be called Independence Hall, and to make sure that the secrets would not be let out, they shut up the entire building. Now, that keeps the flies out, 
but keeps the stifling heat in. Well, the big issue is the big guys versus the little guys. The big states are saying, why should we give you any power beyond proportionally what you have for our population? The small states say, well, why should we let you then control our lives? So as the summer continues, the bickering becomes more and more heated. And there are a couple of events where two people spoke the most horrific things to other members of the delegation. Everybody was defeated. You read any diaries or letters of that time and you will see in the language that people there recognized that they had started something. And now that the war was over and they'd gotten their independence, it was doomed. The United States of America, the laughing stock of the world, nothing they could do about it. Foreign powers of the day were licking their chops, ready to carve up the failure of this harebrained scheme of democracy, a vain and foolish dream. And this is where Benjamin Franklin comes in. Now, at the time, he's 81. He's quite feeble, but still recognized as the brilliant Benjamin Franklin. He says hardly anything during the long summer debate. His voice does not carry more than a few feet, so if he does speak, he writes it down on a piece of paper and has somebody else read it for him. But on this particular day, when everybody is at their lowest, he does speak. He painfully gets to his feet, and he reads this statement. The room is completely quiet as delegates strained to hear him talking about the imperfection of human understanding, saying, and I quote, In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were, in the dark, to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when it's presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understandings. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence. To that kind of providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we forgotten now that powerful friend? I've lived a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, that the sacred writings, that except the Lord build the house, they that labor in vain build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We should be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse, 
mankind may hereafter, from this unfortunate instance, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings and our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of the city be requested to officiate at that service. So, Benjamin Franklin says we should start with prayer and be led by a clergy person. Did this happen? No. <laughs> Why? A couple of reasons. First, although this was carried out in complete secrecy, and the thought was that if they let clergy into the assembly, the secret would leak out that they were trying to come up with a new form of government, and maybe even more importantly, the secret that they were bitterly divided. And there was a more practical reason, too. They simply had no money to pay anybody, not themselves, and certainly not a clergy to preside over the events. But even though they didn't pray as a body, Franklin's speech broke the deadlock. There's great evidence that they did pray individually from that day. Why? The mood changed. Attitudes lifted. The desire to write something that would sustain through the generations became a common goal. And there was even a break in the hot weather, so that by the time it was finished in September, those men had forged a document that has stood the test of time. Most government constitutions in world history last about 17 years. And despite all the changes that have gone on in the world, the document forged by those men in a very difficult time through the help of prayer has given us one of the most enduring governments in history. It's interesting to note that America is both a very young country and, at the same time, one of the oldest governments on the planet. Hmm. Now, every life is a story. As we speak, you are part of America's story. You're also part of your family story, your business story, and your personal story. If you are at a logjam and things seem impossible, Perhaps you, like Benjamin Franklin, can use your oldest and most trustworthy of powers available to you, prayer. Something to think about as you write the next chapter of your story. Well, that's the story. Thank you for listening. And story is the focus of this year's podcast. In my own story, I am telling America's story as I travel 50 states preparing Americans to celebrate the 250th birthday of our country and all the individual things we have inherited. One of those, as I talked about in this very podcast, Providence. If you have any questions, want to book my program, you can reach me at my website, ilikethatstory.net, ilikethatstory.net. Until that time, I'm Jeff Gould. God bless.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.